You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a Senior Editorial Manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Trust Issues. Today, we're focusing on operational technology, or OT, which is the term used to describe the systems that control physical processes and devices in the industrial environments that run the world around us, like power plants, oil and gas facilities, railways, and water treatment plants. In turn, OT security protects these systems from cyber attacks that could disrupt operations damage equipment, harm the environment, or endanger human lives. OT cybersecurity is critical for keeping critical infrastructure secure, vital. But often, these OT environments have weak or outdated security in place. And while threat actors may not target OT environments as frequently as corporate IT environments when attacked, the impact can be massive. OT cyber attacks have become more frequent and diverse in recent years, involving ransomware groups, hacktivists, and other malicious actors. And this brings us to today's guest, Mike Holcomb, who's the Fellow of Cybersecurity and the ICS OT Cybersecurity Global Lead at Floor, one of the world's largest engineering, procurement, and construction companies. One of the main questions Mike addresses in conversation is, what makes OT cybersecurity different from IT cybersecurity? He explains that OT systems have particular characteristics and challenges that require a different approach and mindset from IT security. But in the end, identity is a common denominator. Who and what are assessing resources and systems and when? He also assesses the current state of OT cyber maturity and gaps and opportunities for improvement, sharing best practices and recommendations for OT cyber defense. And he discusses how OT cyber threats have evolved over time and current trends and challenges. Let's head into OT. Here's my conversation with Mike Holcomb. Mike Holcomb, welcome to Trust Issues. (laughs) Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for coming on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about OT or operational technology and As the fellow of cybersecurity and the ICS slash OT cybersecurity global lead for Floor, one of the world's largest engineering procurement and construction companies, I think it probably makes sense to talk to you about that a little bit today. So to start things off, maybe you could briefly take us through a quick tour of how you got into OT and ultimately to your current role and what it entails. For me, I've Growing up a computer nerd since day one, so that's always what I've been and done. And and I had always also had a, a focus on security just in the background. And so it was just always in, in the back of my mind. So as I started to get into IT and progress through my career, I just gravitated towards cybersecurity. And as I became a cybersecurity practitioner, it was in 2010 uh, where Stuxnet, the, the news of Stuxnet came out. And that was where had the United States and Israeli, you know, two nation states, had targeted a uranium facility in Tanz, Iran. So you had two nation states targeting another 
And I wasn't necessarily concerned with the geopolitical considerations there, but I was really fascinated with how this malware not only got into this type of facility, but how the malware took control over the systems, the actually called controllers, that were hooked in to these centrifuges and the centrifuges that would spin the uranium gas and enrich it to essentially make nuclear weapons. And so I was just really fascinated with that. And then it became this questions about, well, oh, well, how does this work in power plants and how does it work in water treatments? And what about airports and railways? And the list just goes on and on and just started to think and look and everywhere in our daily lives, what's impacted. And so I started having conversations with people that worked in these environments and that maintained and that were maybe supposed to be responsible for cybersecurity. Again, this was back in 2010, 2011. And- right. And it should be pointed out probably that wasn't just your moment of awareness with all of this. It's generally considered to be the moment when IT tech and its inherent complexity and, and risk came to light in a greater sense, right? Exactly. It was is that big watershed moment, I think, for a lot of people around the world, from nation state attackers to, to definitely cybersecurity professionals that, that at least for those of us that are interested, be, becoming interested at that point in time, for sure. So at this point in the conversation, it's probably good to, to level set and to ask you what OT is actually and how OT cybersecurity has evolved in the last few years. And presumably digital transformation has played a role in some of this. Digital transformation is a big part of that conversation. But when we talk about operational technology as as a whole, I always think of in its most simple form a like a smart thermostat these days. Mm-hmm smart thermostat is just another computer, right? It's got a processor, it has memory, little storage. And then that computer is a little bit specialized in that it has additional wires that go out into the real world and then connect into other systems. So it'll connect into, let's say, a sensor, right? To be able to tell what the temperature is in the room. And then on the computer, on the thermostat, right? It has what you call a set point. So you can set the desired temperature that you want in the room. So I always wanted 70 degrees in in the room. If it was my girlfriend, it would be 65 degrees. Okay. And so that way we set the thermostat. And then if the room becomes too warm, if we go above that set point, then the logic, the programming in the thermostat will send a signal out that wire that's connected to the air conditioning unit and talk to the air conditioning unit, (laughs) and then it'll turn it on. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, the computer, or kind of alluded to like a programmable logic controller or PLC, right? It's just sitting there and it's running this logic saying, what's the temperature? What's the temperature? What's the temperature, right? Are we too high, too low? Or, oh, okay, now we're back to, let's say 70 degrees, send a signal to turn off the, the air conditioner. So that's operational technology, a very simple example. And then you can take that and apply it to other places in the world, like a power plant. So I can have OT, or then when we get into think a little higher or industrial type environments, that's usually when we talk about industrial control systems, but they work exactly the same way that you have a computer, right? That it's wired into all these different types of systems and processes. 
And so that way, when I want to, let's say, generate electricity at a power plant by bringing in maybe natural gas, and I mix that with oxygen, and I'm going to go ahead and create some steam, and I'm going to turn a turbine and then turns a generator to actually generate electricity, all of those systems and all those processes are automated through operational technology. You mentioned wiring. How then, if you take the wires out of the equation and you bring IoT into the equation and IoT devices with that smart thermostat, how does that factor into OT and OT security? It's a much bigger conversation. We try to separate, you know, with IoT, I like to focus on IoT for the most part as consumer devices, Mm -hmm. or we can say at least they're devices that require internet connectivity really for their full functionality at the end of the day. So we don't typically are going to see IoT in OT or industrial control environments. Though what we are seeing, and this is kind of one of those changes that, that you were starting to ask about, is we are seeing what we call industrial internet of things. And so that's where we are taking at least data and from the OT environment. So the power plants and the petrochemical facilities and the railways of the world and pumping them up to the cloud. So that way we can do things like predictive analytics to determine when those parts are going to break down and we want to replace them before they fail. So that's one way to look at it. So that is definitely a change. And then of course we talk about oh yeah, we're just going to hook up our power plant or a train or a railway to the internet. It doesn't necessarily sound like a great idea. So we need to make sure we do that as securely as, as possible. Are you doing all these things at Floor? As you've got a very long title as the fellow of cybersecurity and the ICS OT cybersecurity global lead for Floor. I need to take like an extra breath to say it. So are you doing all these things? Yes, The IIoT is definitely new. We work with some of the larger customers in in the world, the Shells, the BPs, the Saudi Aramcos and Sabics. So we build and maintain and operate some of the the largest control systems, networks and and environments in the world. Uh, And so we are seeing, and this has really just picked up over the last couple of years, Along at the same time as all the cybersecurity has really started to become highlighted and a a concern for the owners and the operators of these environments. So it is interesting that security is getting a much bigger, I guess, plug these days. And at the same time, we are seeing this really the explosion of other kind of technologies and architectures like industrial internet of things and being able to send data to the cloud to do things like predictive analytics. You probably get to to interact with an awful lot of things going on in the world in that role. One of the things that sort of struck me as I was diving into the prep for this episode is it seems that OT is somewhat overlooked in a sense. So maybe, and I don't know whether you agree or disagree with that, I'll have you hold your thought for just a moment. Maybe it might be worth exploring that and how OT differs from IT, which seems to get quite a bit more attention. Yeah, and this, those are all fair to say, I think. And, and I've been in IT for 25 plus years with almost all of that in cybersecurity. And then in OT, let's say 10 years, being in OT today reminds me of how IT was about probably 20 years ago or so, maybe a little less these days. To me, it reminds me of when we had the target breach. Okay, how so? 
in IT back then, prior to the target breach, this at least for me, I remember not a lot of companies still really took cybersecurity seriously. And this is what, 2014-ish? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. So about 10 years ago. Okay. So there were some. I worked for companies that did, definitely. And especially you had finance firms. I, I used to work in financial services. You'd have others that, yes, they were on top of the game. But all the other organizations, I went to telecoms and I, I worked as a consultant for a year and went in to see different environments. And yeah, most companies started to realize after the target breach, they needed to do something about cybersecurity. And that's where we're at in the OT world. Since we had what they call the Colonial Pipeline event about two and a half years ago. Colonial Pipeline is the operator of the largest gasoline pipeline in the, the United States. Mm -hmm. And they were taken offline and not by a nation state, but a ransomware group. The back office became infected with ransomware. Someone clicked on the wrong link, opened up the wrong attachment. The entire IT operations, entire IT environment completely consumed by ransomware, shut down, and then the pipeline went went offline. The pipeline was down for 10 days, and there were real-world repercussions that people could see. Like where I live in Greenville, South Carolina, you would go to the gas station, and for that 10-day period, there'd be no gas at that one gas station. Now you could go around the corner, and there was gas station. There was just a super long line if you didn't go at 3 o'clock in the morning. But it was a lesson where I think a lot of people could actually then see, oh, yes, we need to start looking at cybersecurity in, in OT environments. Because while there have been things like Stuxnet, Stuxnet didn't have a real-world impact to us in our daily lives. Right? That was the U.S. and the Israelis going after the Iranians on the other side of the planet. Much different when you go to the gas station and there's no gas. So suddenly you've got an influx of threat actors trying to exploit OT system vulnerabilities and potentially poor cyber hygiene practices. Is, is that kind of the gist of it? And that's exactly what the position we're in today is because of the colonial pipeline breach. Before then, the only attackers we primarily worried about in OT was the nation states. So you were only worried about China or Russia or the Americans coming after you if you had a power plant or a, a water treatment facility. Now, it's it's not only, sure, nation states, that's almost inconsequential now compared to all the ransomware group operators. We see a lot of hacktivist activity these days, especially between Russia, Ukraine, Israel, and Hamas, and, and other hotspots around the world, as well as just about every other type of attacker out there that wants to get into the fight in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, it's really a fascinating time to uh, be able to see all these different types of attackers come. And then the other point you mentioned, a lot of these environments haven't thought about cybersecurity before. And so a lot of them, they don't have the basics. And they have systems that are exposed to the internet with default passwords. And you know, the list can go on and on, but we get the idea. A lot of these, especially older environments, that cybersecurity just wasn't thought of, or if it was, the bare minimum was done. So yeah, we see a lot of people now that are trying to be able to go in and fit security in where they can in these older environments, which definitely can be a challenge, especially if you have a 30-year-old power plant that you don't want to make any changes because if it's not broke, we don't fix it, right? It's, it's kind of that mentality. 
And it would seem that because of the nature of what OT is, these are potentially super dangerous threats. Not that other cyber threats out there aren't, but we're talking about real world life and death type situations. The potential there, yeah, definitely is for drastic, deadly consequences. We try to leave out the FUD, you know, and just kind of... Fear, uncertainty, and doubt, for those who don't know what the FUD is. Yeah, we don't want to use that fear, uncertainty, and doubt and try to scare you and say, oh, the Russians are going to come in and they're going to be able to blow up a nuclear power plant, right? Mm -hmm. The chances that that are a trillion to one. Now, can you go and cause a local blackout for probably your local neighborhood? Yeah, you can do that really easily, Mm -hmm. right? Two different size of the spectrum, right? Could somebody bring down the power grid, right? You hear all these horror stories in, in the newspaper, but we try to keep it realistic where there is a, you know, there's risk there, right? The threats are out there. These environments are vulnerable, right? They are being targeted. It's, it's just a matter of the damage that the attackers have the capability and knowledge to enact and, and what they actually want to do. And so these environments are not easy to get into as far as being able to take control over them to a degree where you could cause something to, let's say, blow up or maybe like melt down. So maybe I wanted to kind of cause a turbine in the power plant to overload and potentially cause a fire, right? That could potentially happen. But yeah, it it goes back to ultimately in OT versus IT. And I think this is one of the earlier questions, kind of where the compare and contrast in IT, we always talk about ensuring confidentiality of data, right? Integrity of data, availability of data and systems, where in the OT world, it's physical safety, right? We're worried about the people on site. We want to make sure everybody goes home at the end of the day. We want to make sure the general public that live in the vicinity are safe. If you live next door to, a, let's say, a petrochemical facility, you don't want to necessarily have to worry about it blowing up in the middle of the night. Just shifting gears for a moment, is there like a kind of friendly rivalry among IT and OT cybersecurity professionals, kind of like cops and firefighters, softball, you know, kind of a situation going on? I wish. It's actually typically the other way around, unfortunately, where it can be a very contentious relationship more often than not, which is unfortunate because I get to see a lot of different environments, mostly you know, larger environments. And I see where IT and OT work really well together and you have a very secure environment. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen the other end of the spectrum where they're either going at it, just fighting all day, every day, or they're just not talking. Mm. So it's like a bad relationship. If you're not talking or if you're fighting all the time, you're not getting anything done and only the attackers are winning. So one of the most important aspects of any OT cybersecurity program is getting IT and OT to work together, mm-hmm. right? To be able to secure the environment. And what that looks like is very different in each of these environments because every OT environment is completely unique. And you can go into any IT environment, they're roughly the same, right? You got some servers, got some workstations, you have users and applications, right? There's an internet connection and some data. In OT, you go into a power plant, it's very different than a petrochemical facility. You can go into a power plant. It's very different than another power plant right just down the street. Mm -hmm. So every environment looks different. And so how IT and OT work in these environments is always very different. But 
we need to work together to be able to secure the environment mm -hmm. rather than being at each other's throats or just not not talking because nothing's getting done. A lot of what we've discussed already has involved critical infrastructure. How much are you thinking about critical infrastructure? How much are you thinking about the definition of a critical infrastructure is considering it's different across the globe from region to region, country to country? Is there any kind of issues surrounding clarity around what critical infrastructure is? It can be confusing at times for people that are just getting into the industry. Sometimes it can be confusing for people like politicians that they're the ones writing policies and regulations that we have to follow. So sometimes that could take us down interesting pathways. But I think overall, just to think of you know, critical infrastructure typically are those industrial control environments. So it's not the, the thermostats or a small manufacturing facility that creates some type of toy, right? It's not something we need to rely on. It's not critical. Right? We don't need it for our daily lives. But power plants, water treatment facilities, railways, and then you can even get into things like hospitals or kind of like you mentioned, each country defines critical infrastructure sectors for them. The U.S. has 16 right now. Uh, like, for example, India had just added healthcare, like with hospitals and doctors and offices, et cetera, as a critical infrastructure. I think in the U.S., there's still a big push to make space a new critical infrastructure sector. That's interesting. Because of all the highlights around, especially cybersecurity and, and satellites and other implications in space. So it's a really fascinating area as well. Are there any particularly unusual examples of what countries determined to be critical infrastructure? Um, I haven't heard of anything particularly strange. Maybe there's some out there. And I'm just familiar with, and Floor does business, we build these environments and, and critical infrastructure in, in just about every country on the planet. I haven't heard of anything too crazy. Usually, I think that the crazy thing is just the fact that you might look at a country and they either don't recognize critical infrastructure or they might recognize one or two things as critical infrastructure. Whereas, again, in the United States, we have 16 critical infrastructure sectors, which includes things like telecommunications and emergency services and, and even technology, like think massive data centers that allow the internet to run. Yep. There's a lot to think about and a lot to cover. That's for sure. How do you handle security challenges posed by legacy OT systems? I always apply the, uh, the lesson that I learned early on in my career. I had uh, a great mentor that I got the privilege to work for my first real full-time IT cybersecurity job. Dan Crow, he was an ex-Delta Force, ex-Army officer, and he also was great IT mind. And Wi-Fi had just come out at that point. And the business is screaming for Wi-Fi. And I, I'm the security guy saying, no way, right? This is so insane. There's no encryption. Somebody could jump on your network. And I remember Dan was saying, they're going to get it one way or the other. The CEO is just going to override you. So you want to work with them to do it as, as securely as possible. And that's just really stuck with me. So when it either came to BYOD, right, in, in the IT early days or anything really, it's going to the cloud, right, or some of those great examples, it's like, okay, there are risks or there's a lot of risk in doing this, but let's do it as securely as possible. Uh, and that's the same thing in OT. It's okay. I understand that you need to do this, like manufacturing environments, they want to poke 
a lot of holes in your infrastructure that introduces potentially a lot of risk. So it's one of those, I understand this is what you need to do to allow the manufacturing plant to run and to create what it creates. Let's just make sure we can do it as securely as possible. So we look at what controls can we wrap around it to make it as as secure as possible. Just understanding there's risk. It's just like we mentioned the, the IIoT or Industrial Internet of Things and this idea of connecting your power plant to the internet, right? As soon as you're doing this, there's risk that's introduced, but we're not going to be able to say no. So let's do it as securely as possible. That's a big part of my job. Thinking in terms of today and parallels today, how is generative AI and machine learning impacting OT security? And what's the next big challenge for OT cybersecurity? With AI, especially the focus on, we can see a lot of positive steps. And it's one of the things I keep looking towards, you know, like what are people doing with AI to help protect OT? A lot of it can be similar to IT, right? So you see a lot of people uploading their policies and having them reviewed to see, right, does this align with something like 62443? What are we missing? What do we need to add? I'm like, okay, that's a great use. It's not something I want to do, <laughs> you know, as a person. So we'll let AI do it. We can use AI just in OT, just like in IT for helping our SOC analysts do their job more effectively, right? Be that force multiplier. So you can do some amazing things from a network security monitoring perspective. So it's very similar from that. What I'm always concerned with is what the attackers are using it for. Right. And we don't have really insight into that today, like from a true OT perspective. In the IT world, we understand we can see criminals using AI to generate the most realistic phishing emails and the malware to go with it. So it'll be interesting, right, in a good and bad way to see what the future holds for us from that perspective. And so I think from an overall challenges perspective, and we can have those AI conversations and what's coming down the pipe, but I'm more concerned with the here and now very practical person. Just want to get in and get the job done and make sure everything is secure. And I think most environments still today, again, it's, it's going back to the target days. There are a lot of environments out there that are way behind in implementing just the, even the basic fundamentals of OT cybersecurity, which can be, in times, very different from IT. And so we have a lot of environments out there. And I, I'm very fortunate. I get to work with some of the best companies in the world that have some of the most strongest cybersecurity programs imaginable. And so I get to learn a lot <laughs> from them, which is great. But I also realize those types of environments, right? They're very few and far between. Most of the OT in the world around us, it is the manufacturing plants and the smaller ones, right? It is the water treatment facilities that they don't have a budget to go out and spend a million dollars on a threat and maybe an incident detection system and, and threat and vulnerability management platforms. And they don't have those resources. They don't even have somebody within the company thinking of cybersecurity. They're that small. And yet so many people depend on them. There was just an instance where there was a 
water treatment facility in Ireland that was compromised, just one asset, and you had 160 people without water for two days, which doesn't sound like the end of the world, but it's, well, what if it's 160,000 people and it's 20 days? The repercussions just can go off the scale pretty, pretty quickly. And how much of what you do is thinking about those what-if scenarios? Oh, I do a lot of that, yes. <laughs> but then that's where I have to always try to reel myself back. And again, always try to say it's it's that risk conversation. It's these are things that could happen. Now, the chances, the probability of these occurring is very, 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 very small. But they can occur. And we're at this point since Colonial Pipeline. Before Colonial Pipeline, you would have a major OT cybersecurity incident on average once every four or five years where now we're having them pretty much almost on a weekly basis, if not almost a daily basis. Right. And so it's just, let's talk about the rate of the event is accelerating and the impacts are, are increasing. And so it's, it's one of those, it's a very fascinating, interesting, exciting time to be in OT cybersecurity because of everything we talked about. We have so many environments out there that aren't prepared the number of attackers is only growing exponentially day by day, right? We only see only that many more attacks and we're seeing the impacts, right? We're seeing power plants go offline, water being interrupted on a small scale, but, but they happen. Telecommunications going down in, in the Ukraine. There was another blackout caused by the, the Russians in the Ukraine last year in 2023. Yeah, so they're happening and they're just happening more and more. And that's trend is not going to slow down. And so that's where we're at today, trying to look forward. So thinking about identity and identity and OT and identity and OT security, how does identity factor into OT security? And what are some of the challenges and common scenarios? Talk about identity in OT, right? I, identity in IT is a very core component of what we do in IT cyber these days. And that's not necessarily the case in OT. And the main reason is if I work in, let's say, a power plant, and if I'm going to go and I need, there's an emergency situation, and I need to log into a system, and all of a sudden, I'm not able to log into that system because of a username or a password or some difficulty, or the system that's used to do authentication is offline, and I'm locked out of that system, and then all of a sudden, Either the plant shuts down and now you have the operator losing potentially millions of dollars a day, or what if there is some type of physical issue where there's something explodes and somebody on site dies, or at least they're hurt. Most of the network that you're going to see, it's all Windows systems. So the nice thing is we always focus on things like with, with Active Directory, right? Being able to focus on identity and ensuring authentication and authorization of individuals when they're they're logging in and accessing resources. As you get down and lower into the systems that are actually controlling the process, that are actually doing the job of generating electricity in a power plant or moving trains down the track or mining ore out of the ground. When you get to those lower systems, and typically those are the ones we don't want to touch. But at all those higher levels and all those systems that the attackers are going to come across first if they're on the network. 
that's where we do want to to make sure that we are implementing and securing the identity of accounts in the environment. Are there particular OT specific challenges when it comes to third party vendors or third party supply chain? So OT has the same issues with supply chain as if you're implementing software, and I always think of SolarWinds, right? They bring in a, a malicious update, you're compromised. That's a concern in OT, just as a, in IT. It's just, remember, OT has so many other things they're still working on. Supply chain is, you know, security is, is going to be near the bottom of, of the list, unfortunately. They're probably more worried about purchasing counterfeit equipment than you know, the next SolarWinds breach, uh, realistically. I think this is probably a good opportunity then to segue into what organizations should do when it comes to OT security and what they should be doing to ensure systems in OT environments are updated and protected. This, so there's two things. So when you look at cybersecurity as a whole, and not every organization is ready to go out and say, hey, I'm going to go and get the 62443 standard and start implementing it, right? That would be the right answer to do. Where do I start? So I actually created an adapted version of the critical security controls from IT. I love that when it originally came down because it's not only here's this list of security controls that you can implement, and it's written very plainly that people can understand, but it was also that prioritized list. So it's like, here's where you start. And here, you're going to start here because this has the most impact into reducing risk in your environment. So we always talk about the first place you start is secure network infrastructure. It was my LinkedIn post yesterday talking about how we not only create an IT, OT, DMZ between the IT and OT networks, but then how you further do segmentation within the OT network. So we're ultimately trying to slow down an attacker, give us time to be able to detect them, get the basic blocking and tackling done, and you've addressed the vast majority of risk. And that's what we're seeing underway today, which which is very positive. The industry has come a long way in just a, a few short years. We just we just have a long way to go. What about for organizations that are trying to be proactive with audits to help them navigate compliance and regulatory requirements? That's always an interesting conversation because there's not a lot of regulatory requirements in OT, which believe it or not, because I remember it's like, what do you mean? There's there's not a lot of like regulation around a, a petrochemical facility or water treatment? Yeah, you would you would hope there would be. Yeah, exactly. So it's the only true, when you talk about cybersecurity requirements, regulations we have is what they call NERC or NERC SIP. And that's for entities that do power generation and transmission in North America, primarily US and Canada. And then there's a, a nuclear version for that as well. And then if you work in, let's say, water, right? Waters, you have these kind of general requirements that say you have to deliver clean water to the public, but there's not where you're going to have an auditor come in and look at the environment for, and there's this whole complicated story, but you're not going to have an auditor come in and look at your cybersecurity controls to ensure that an attacker wouldn't be able to come in and introduce you uh, deadly levels of, of chemicals in, into the water and, and have that go out to the general public. And you see that in a lot of the other environments. The only thing that has changed since Colonial Pipeline from a true cybersecurity regulation perspective is the TSA in the U.S. since Colonial Pipeline 
they actually have now regulations for pipeline operators, which makes sense. And then they also added that to rail. So that way, because if your pipelines are down, the only other way you're going to be moving large amounts of anything is going to be rail. And so I've actually been doing a lot of work in rail projects over the last couple of years because of that. But yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. We hear a lot of more regulations that's going to come down the pipeline, like in water, potentially there were regulations for water that they let lapse ultimately because people were complaining about having to become compliant with them. It's very, very strange, very bizarre, very bizarre. Shifting gears to, we've already talked a little bit about OT professionals and IT professionals. We've, of course, in the industry, heard a lot about the cyber skills gap. And as someone who's taught cybersecurity at the college level, I'm thinking this subject may be particularly pertinent to you. Where does that issue land when it comes to OT security? It's a hard one. It's not, there's there's no easy fix because you really, the people you want working in OT cybersecurity, you want them to understand the OT aspects of things like engineering and how the plant works, at least at a fundamental level. You don't have to be like, I'm not an engineer engineer, but at least over time, I've got to work with a lot of engineers and start to, to be able to learn the basics, right? You need to understand the physics of the environment you're protecting. Uh, but then also understand how cybersecurity works, right? From really the IT world. So you either need to kind of learn IT cybersecurity and then learn OT like I have, or you need to learn OT and then learn IT cybersecurity, right? So we have people coming from both sides and then trying to meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. So we want these people that have both of those skill sets and not everybody wants to go through all that work. And then when you tell tell IT people that OT pays a lot less, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, never mind. So it does pay less. It does, yeah. And, and then the, the OT people, they're like, oh, I can make more in IT? So they're, you, you see people actually leaving the power plants and, and the railways and because they can make more money in IT environments doing cybersecurity. Well, not to get all fuddy on you, but that that's concerning. It is very much so. I've seen multiple instances of that. I think the people that you see in OT that stay in OT or the people that transition into OT, they believe in the mission and they want to be there, which is which is amazing. At the end of the day, I can't blame somebody though for needing going to take more money, especially, you know, you got mouths to feed at home or I guess just want more money at the end of the day, right? I, I'm not going to blame you. So do you think that that salary disparity is something that'll be ironed out in the near future? It's changing and we've already seen, at least from what I've seen, you know, there definitely have been changes to me and I've been talking with others. It, it's going to be probably a couple of years before it's on close parity, but hopefully it'll get there sooner than, than later. Because why, <laughs> if you're in IT, why would you want to move to OT if you're not going to get paid at least as much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you have to believe in the mission if, if you're going to make that move. And is that part of the reason why you why you teach or have taught? Yeah, it's a big a big reason. There's lots of lots of reasons. I I, I grew up very poor, so I is, and I I know how you know, working in IT and cybersecurity has has transformed my life. Not only through my salary, but yeah, the the idea of mission and being able to help and and protect people. 
actually also have a, a free 20 plus hour course on how to get into ICSOT cybersecurity that I put out on YouTube for free. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What inspired you to do that and what's the response been and why free? Yeah, it was one of those things that I had recorded, started doing it, it in some live sessions, had a couple hundred people online, and then I also had hundreds of others from all over the world saying, I would love to participate, but I also need to sleep in the middle of the night. You know, And it's like, hey, I completely get that. And so it really was just being able to take that and re-record it and, and put it out on YouTube. And it, it's great to see people watching. I think the first part is, is already like 2,500 people have already watched at this point, or I guess they've probably clicked the page. I don't know how many people have actually watched the whole thing, but, but you see like, I mean, the numbers going up on all the parts of some, some people are out there watching them. And I get a lot of nice notes from people saying, Hey, I, I use this in my work, or this is exactly what I was looking for. Oh, this is perfect timing. So so those things, you know, they, they mean a lot and it makes it makes it all worthwhile. Mike Holcomb, thanks so much for coming on to Trust Issues. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Thanks for listening to Trust Issues. If you like this episode, please check out our back catalog for more conversations with cyber defenders and protectors. And don't miss new episodes. Make sure you're following us wherever you get your podcasts. And let's see. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, drop us a line if you feel so inclined. Questions, comments, suggestions, which come to think of it are kind of like comments. Our email address is trustissues, all one word, at cyberarc.com. See you next time.